Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, everybody. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I'm glad you guys are here. As the time that I'm recording this, it's been crazy. It's been about two weeks since I've done a podcast. So I did so many of them that uh, now I need to get back to to work again. And I'm excited about this podcast because this is going to be about something that we haven't talked a lot about. And I'm excited to interview Svei Pavich. Did I butcher that or not? Joe, that was perfect. You nailed it, buddy. <laughs> Okay, awesome. And we're going to be talking about rental hacking. And uh, Svey and I were talking a couple weeks ago about what he's doing. And I thought, hey, wait a second. That sounds pretty cool. Let's do a podcast about that. My list, my list would, and my audience would probably like to hear about this. And so uh, Svey is from Croatia, but you live here in the U.S., right? I actually live in Canada, Joe, in That's Toronto, right. Ontario. I, for, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so, um, well, good day, eh? <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's actually not a huge difference between um, you know, going to Canada, going to US and a lot of the strategies I'm going to talk about today work both in the United States, in Canada, in Australia, in Europe and really as so long as, you know, you can get a loan and yeah. you can rent out a property, you could use this strategy. So, yeah, even though I'm from Canada and we have specific laws and a little bit tighter regulation, it'll work great for your audience in the states. Yeah, and you've done some pretty cool things. We're going to talk about rental hacking and uh, basically how to build a little retirement nest egg in your 20s or 30s pretty quickly yep. of rental income, passive income, cash flow. Now, there's a big difference between piles of cash and streams of cash, right? So we're going to be talking today about the streams of cash, which I think is really important for us to think about and start talking about and, and planning for. So that's why I wanted to survey on the on the call. So survey, were you born in Croatia, or are your family's from there? Or? Yeah. So I'll tell you an interesting story about uh, me, Joe. And you know, really, my story is, and you know, even from my family and where I come from, it's actually it's quite a it's a miracle that I'm here today sharing you all of this success that I've had with real estate with rental properties. So I'm from Bosnia, Croatia, Serbia, former Yugoslavia, essentially. And they had a civil war there. And my parents were actually able to get us out the day before the war started. Mm. And then we immigrated to United Kingdom. And eventually we settled on Canada. They had very, very good refugee status. And uh, yeah, it's and, and then I invested in Canada and grew up basically raised as a Canadian, as a North American, because I was a very little kid at that time. Yeah. I've been to uh, Croatia a couple times. I've been to Split and Dubrovnik. Have you ever have you been there before? Oh yeah. I mean, you you hit the two best places. I was actually there uh, last summer. I took my in laws, and uh, they loved it. We did the whole drive, the whole uh, coast uh, on the Adriatic from Italy all the way down to Croatia, Dubrovnik. It was it was amazing. Yeah. It's such a beautiful area, and people don't think of it. You know, they think of that area. They think of Greece or maybe Italy, but Croatia. It's just beautiful and. The cool thing about the coast of, of um, and going into Croatia is things are so much cheaper there and still just as beautiful, if not more beautiful, than what you're going to see in Italy and in Greece. 
I remember we went, I forget if it was split. I think it was the, the water was just gorgeous. You, you know, you could see real deep into the, into the ocean and, um, yeah. Yes. And, and the beer was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Ice cold beer. Yeah. Yes. And that water, it's crystal clear water. I mean, um, I've been to Caribbean. I've been to, you know, Southeast Asia, Thailand, all over the place. I've been to Hawaii most recently, but that water in Croatia, I mean, mm. you know, it, it's crystal clear and swimming in there is next level. And, uh, yeah, maybe we maybe might move there one day or even just go back to vacation because actually my family has a my, a property there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, beautiful place. One thing that was interesting, just real quick, and then I'll stop talking about it, is a lot of Czechs in the Czech Republic go down to Croatia yep. for vacation, which is uh, pretty cool. Anyway, okay, so you came to Canada as a – how old were you when you came to Canada? So I was five years old, Joe. Okay. And then um, – what got you interested in real estate? Yeah. So, you know, I come from a different generation. Uh, I really do. I'm a millennial. And so, you know, part of the story that I'm sharing with you guys today is a journey of the millennial. I see this, you know, this journey is common to not only peers, but people going up in the system around my age. And so, you know, in my parents' time, they're used to, you know, the idea of you get a good job, you know, you go to work and that's how you make your money without the concept of, you know, a business, rental income, passive income, real estate investing, anything like that. And so I was actually in university. I went to a very prestigious university, uh, University of Toronto. It's one of the best in Canada. And I went there for a business program. And within one year, I was kicked out of the program and I basically was very upset because what they were teaching was not business. They were teaching accounting and finance and it had nothing to do with what I was interested in. So I went through university and you know, I ended up graduating and, you know, I even got a scholarship at the end. But the point of this is I graduated and uh, it was a struggle finding a job. It was, uh, you know, luckily I did a lot of internships. So I, I got, you know, uh, an entry job right away. I eventually moved to a six figure job and that's the one that I most recently had in my last job. And I was able to do that, you know, by networking and hustling. But all of this time I realized, you know what, the concept of go to university, which we spent a fortune for, I paid for my own university. So I've spent a fortune on that. And I think about, wow, what am I doing today? I'm investing in myself, in real estate, in knowledge. And ultimately, that's what pays dividends. That's what allows me to live, you know, the freedom, the laptop lifestyle. And that's what I want to share with everyone today. And not only that, the crazy thing is I was able to do this not using any of my own money. And so right now I own over $1.4 million in rental properties. All right. And I actually bought my first rental when I was 24 and I was able to quit my job at 28. So it only took me about four years. And most of the time I was just figuring out what I'm about to talk to today, which took me, you know, several years to figure out. And yeah, so right now I live the laptop and pretty much freedom lifestyle. I can go travel. I can do what I love, which for me is talking about real estate, sharing this. And I'm so passionate about it. And I feel like it is my duty to share this information because it allowed me to go from a six figure job that most people would want in their life, but I absolutely hated working in a cubicle. I hated working for somebody else. And the fact that I had to trade time for dollars, even if it was six figures, was still not passive income. And I was able to create this passive income, um, you know, without using my own money, using this rental hacking formula. So crazy because have you heard of the Millennial Revolution? It's a website, millennial-revolution.com. Have you heard of it? I have I have not checked it out, but I'm going to do that right now. 
it's a it's an amazing. I just saw this yesterday. I don't remember where, but it's a an, an Asian wife and a husband. I think they're Asian. I maybe I maybe shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know. They look Asian, but uh, <laughs> super cool people, and they're millennials. And okay. uh, they, I saw them on an interview on the CBC. Isn't that the Canadian Broadcasting Channel or whatever? Yep, yep, yep. And so it's like th- their version of public television in Canada. So they were interviewing them, and these cu- this couple is in their early 30s, and they just they're retired, and um, they just didn't. This article or this video was talking about how they didn't accept everything you were just saying. They didn't accept what was taught to them that you had to go to college, you had to get a job. And they did that, you know, and it was like, they were frustrated. And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, you know, it's like, no matter how hard you work, you get paid the same and your job, your employer, they don't care about you. They could fire you one minute and, exactly. uh, you know, they hire you and they say you're awesome and promise you all these things and then fire you. And then, so this, they talked about how they grew up like that, going to college, they had the big, nice, expensive, <clears throat> they had a, a well-paying job. But they refused to buy a house because they were living in Toronto. They're from Toronto. And uh, they rented instead. They they got rid of all their debt. And they saved up, both of them together, about a million dollars. And they invest in um, stock market. And uh, so now they just travel the world. And they have a website where they talk about this stuff. I don't know. I didn't mean to talk about them for so long. But it's just yesterday or was it? It's a good point. Even maybe this morning, I think it was. I saw this video and I thought, oh, it's interesting. I went to their website. But if anybody's interested in this, if you're a millennial, even if you're not, this whole concept of stop working and start living, which is their tagline here on their website, you know, there's there's a lot more out there than what you what you think everybody's telling you that you have to do. You know, and, and we're talking about thinking unconventionally, right? One of the things they talk about in here is how. Um, well, anyway, uh, you should just go check it out and see what they're doing. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, I remember what I was going to say. They're traveling a lot now, and and um, with their ret- with their retirement that they have saved up, they can live for the rest of their lives on like forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, and they keep their life super simple. And when they travel as much as they do, they don't have to, you know, they go travel these countries where it's not that expensive, right? And so you can live very comfortably and um, wealthy on $40,000 a year in these places where they go in these beautiful exotic places that they go. So anyway. Yeah. And Joe, just to add to that, you know, it was only really until I went to Thailand and I realized the cost of living was so insanely cheap that I could literally quit my job. And even at that time from only having the income from a single property, which I purchased again, without using my own money, I could take that income from just that single property that I had and live off there like a king. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. And People we did freak. that for, for a month on the beach. That's I, what we I, did. I love talking about this because I've been to Prague, lived there for a while and several times. And the, the, and living in Prague isn't super cheap either because it's gotten more and more touristy, but it's still cheaper than the Western part of Europe. But, you know, even if you lived, 15, 30 minutes outside of the city in the Czech Republic, it's still super cheap. And people don't realize, like, you can live in some of these Eastern European countries in some parts of Asia on 30 grand a year. So that's what, how much is that a month? I don't have my calculator here. 30,000 a year. Let me move this thing divided by 12. 
It's twenty five hundred a month. You can live like a king on that mm-hmm. kind of money. You could you could have a nice place, maybe not on the beach, but you could walk to the beach. You could have a house cleaning maid service that can cook your meals and do your do your laundry, and all that stuff, right? And how many houses do you need to get that? Not much. But anyway, so um, one or two in my case. Yeah. All right, so so talk about you kind of went against the grain of what you were taught. And, and the, one of the things that this lady talks about on this millennial-revolution.com website is how there's it's been kind of popular the last few years for the older generations to bash the millennials, you know, and group them into categories and paint them all with the broad brush, you know, call them lazy, self-centered, entitled, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I've always been annoyed by that um, when people kind of <laughs> will put such a broad brush on, you know, one generation. So talk a little bit about the challenges that you've had being a millennial, you know, and having some success yeah. and not kind of following the traditional path. What were some of the challenges you've had with that? Yeah. So and I'll just, you know, continue by I want to really share my story with everybody so they understand exactly the steps that I went through. So I was saying at that time, I got a six figure job. I was making, you know, good income. But, you know, after all expenses, everything like that, the only savings that I had was what I, you know, felt comfortable with savings. I didn't have enough money at that time, you know, to put even, you know, 5% down payment and still be comfortable on my first property. And so, you know, I was convinced that, um, you know, when I was going through university, I was reading all sorts of books, primarily, you know, started with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm sure, you know, every real estate investor, entrepreneur, business owner at one point reads that book and the aha moment kind of comes on. And in terms of the cash flow quadrant, how you need to be really a business owner or an investor to create passive income, right? And so, at that time, even though I was working this day job and I was getting, you know, good money at the end of it, you know, even paying all the bills, also living in Toronto is not cheap, two cars, going to work, insurance, groceries, gas. After all these expenses, even in one year, I only managed to save up around $30,000. And I was like, okay, this is never going to happen, even if I'm working a six-figure job, right? Like, and if I even go and try to get a better job, which, you know, I could eventually try to even climb the corporate ladder, which I had no interest in just for the sake of, you know, potentially increasing, it would take me forever. And I realized this, that one day I was reading online that you could actually borrow money. And it dawned on me, I could do the same thing for a down payment. And so I started investigating and researching different ways I could borrow this money. And so today I have over 10 sources of what I call other people's money. And this concept is nothing new. Like other people's money, investors have been using it for decades. The concept is nothing new. So I realized that I could tap into that. And the way that I personally did is because I had some money that I was putting in my registered, um, you know, retirement savings, I found that I could actually use that money tax free as a primary purchase on a principal residence at 5% down. And actually, you know, in the States, you can do it with as low as three and a half percent with an FAH loan, you know, depending if you have a VA loan, you don't even have to put any money down. So really using the mortgage as leverage, right? And when we talk about leverage, we're talking about the greatest inherent ability that real estate has. No other investment that you can invest in really has the power of leverage. And that's the fact that I can put down 5% yet own 100% of the asset. And especially as you generate rental income, 
it pays that off. And so basically I was able to scrap together this 5%, which I had to pay back. So I have to pay that back every year over the period of like whatever, 25, 30 years. But it's such an insignificant amount that really the light bulb moment went off. Be like, I just need to profit enough that when I borrow people's money or use other people's money, I still have enough cushion. I'm still very profitable. And by doing this, you can scale exponentially because Joe, no matter how much money you have in the bank, whether that's 1 million or 10 million or whatever you have, First of all, you know, that's a whole bunch of money that's just sitting in the bank. But second of all, no matter how much money you have, you'll always be limited by your own money. And that was really the aha moment for me where I realized, hey, I can use other people's money. I can scale. I can leverage. And as long as I have strong, consistent cash flow and I figured a way to do this by generating, you know, several thousand dollars a per month in profit versus just $100, I realized, wow, this strategy like truly works and is just, the sky really is the limit. And my personal goal is one day I want to own $100 million in properties, you know, make over $100,000 in passive cash flow per month. And it's not that, it's not that like crazy to think of. All right. So talk about how you built this port. Well, what kind of portfolio, what does your portfolio look like now? Okay, so I have four doors. You know, it's it's primarily consists of two duplexes with nine tenants in them. The first property, which I put the 5% down, which I'll kind of explain how I designed this. One of the things I like to do is either buy single family homes or look at existing multifamily homes. But the key is there has to be an ability to add more than one unit. It, it can't rent like in a single family, right? So it has to have multiple units. So this first property, which is a duplex now, I bought, we renovated, we actually used a purchase plus mortgage, otherwise known as a 201k or 203k mortgage, which gives you money for renovations. And in our case, it was 10% of the purchase price. So we got 40,000 in renovation. We built the basement apartment the first day we started construction when we moved into the house. And within two months, we had it rented out and covering our mortgage payment. And we were pretty much living for free. And today I live for free. It's called house hacking, where you rent out a single unit and live in the, uh, and live in the other. And that's how I'm able to live for free. And then the next property that I also did the same thing, except I realized in that property, if I go one step further and not only create multiple units, but rent it by the bedroom, I'm able to generate several thousand dollars in profit per month. And they're still long-term tenants. And so that's basically my portfolio right now. And I'm working with, you know, joint venture partners, you know, once you start having success, it's very easy to show other people, convince other people. They actually come to you wanting to invest. And so, yeah, I'm working with a couple of joint venture partners now, continuing to scale my property. And really, the sky's the limit. So you rent these out by the room. Yeah. So the one that I house hack, I rent just the unit. And I even I could rent out that one by the bedroom. But since I live there, you know, I'm looking for more you know, more long-term tenant. I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to have a rooming house in my own house. Whereas the other duplex I rent by the room. So duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, if you can get some which have minimum six bedrooms, you will likely be more profitable than, and, and not only more, like double or triple more profitable than if you just rent it out by the unit. At least that's been my experience. So let's say I could get $500 in profit per month in cash flow after all contingencies on a duplex or, or whatever. I can get $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 by renting it out by the bedroom. Now, are you talking about short-term Airbnb or are you nope. talking about longer term renting a nope. room out? Yeah, these are long term one year lease 
rentals. The only difference is, and when you actually think about it, the difference isn't as big as you think it would. Instead of, let's say, having a three-bedroom apartment and you rent to an entire family or unit, you are essentially renting it by the bedroom. And you're renting it long-term. You're advertising it you know, for long-term, one-year leases. So you have the passive cash flow like you would have a traditional rental, long-term rental, but you're maximizing your cash flow by going the room rental approach. Now, I do know that a new technique that people have been using and something I might look into, but it's a whole other ballgame and it's not really what, what I've been doing is doing that through Airbnb and then doing short-term rentals, and then you can crank out even more. But for me, that's you know, it's not uh, passive as as much. So I'm more about the passive, and I'll just focus on on acquiring more properties. All right. So you're going to get a lot more cash flow by renting out a house by the room. But are it, is it harder to manage that kind of a situation? Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the things that because, you know, I have two properties and I can compare them side by side. And it's interesting because, you know, they're 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 very similar. And I and I actually self-manage both of these properties. If I wanted to, I could hire a property manager. And one of the things I'm looking at doing right now is I, you know, partner with joint ventures is creating my own property management company. But even if you wanted to, you could hire all of this out and they'll take anywhere from five to 10 percent, you know. So I'll just choose to save that because even with me doing it myself, it's a couple of emails, phone calls, and really my contractor just handles anything in terms of maintenance, in terms of repairs, in terms of anything like that. And since I compared these two, honestly, the room rental has been slightly more work. And that's only when you are actually, you know, doing the leases and getting the tenants because all of my tenants stay, you know, usually for more than a year because they're signing one year leases. You know, it's not common for someone to leave earlier than that. And um, yeah, there's a few things that, you need to look out for. There's a few things that you need to do a, a good job of managing. But if you implement specific systems and your lease has specific things in them, it's really not that much different than just you know managing something. And if you don't want to manage it, you just hire a property manager. So what what does a living situation look like in a house like that? Do you, does People do people share bathrooms, share kitchens, things like that. Yeah, exactly. So, and this is why I say it, I, I don't think it's a huge difference because I create the multiple units. I'm not doing um, one, of, and there's a reason I create multiple units. You know, which I can explain later using the the refinance strategy. But you know, one of the things is I'm not running like nine bedrooms, six bedrooms, twelve bedrooms with one kitchen, one bathroom, right? Like, not only would would that not be a good idea, it, you know, you're you, even though it could be profitable, it's not ultimately the right thing to do, right? So what I do is I create multiple units, and instead of renting, you know, the entire you know the entire unit, I rent it by the bedroom, and then they share the common areas, so bathroom. So I have bathroom, you know, kitchen with dishwasher, full-size dishwasher, on-site laundry. It's exactly like renting a normal thing, except, hey, you got two other roommates. And because I focus on young professionals, like usually this strategy was reserved, Joe, for student rentals. And so a lot of people shied away from that. Also, students have, you know, parties, they're a little bit less mature, um, there could be more damage, etc. Whereas what I found is I could actually rent to professionals, you know, young professionals, but all sorts of ages that really they don't have a family they want to just rent a room and as long as you have done a good job you know renovating meeting all the code the requirements you have a you know safe place people will love to live there and i think room rentals really get a bad rap especially in the media especially in the news 
they kind of enable that. When you think about what we're, what we're doing and what I'm doing is I'm providing affordable housing. But not only that, my renovations are top notch and they look spectacular. And so my backup strategy is always if I ever have an issue with a room rental, whatever, I'll just rent out the entire unit. And yeah, I won't make as much cash flow, but that's always in the backup. And that's why I separate the units. Hmm. So where can somebody listening to this is thinking, oh, that's interesting. How can I learn how to do this room rental thing? Is there, how did you learn it? So what's interesting is that like, I just learned it by, it was more by actually by accident, by trial and error. So we did the first property, right? And we rented that out. We used the equity from that property through the renovations, which is that refinance trick I was kind of talking about where once you have one property, just by having equity in that property, you can pull it out using a home equity line of credit, which is how we put down the down payment on the second property. And that's the whole strategy is finding these fixer uppers, fixing them up, creating the multiple units, right? Making them legal duplex, triplex, whatever, renting them out and pulling out your money, as much of your money as you can right when you're finished. So you can, you know, continue scaling. And so uh, the reason I, I just stumbled upon this because actually I was looking at different properties in different areas, and this one was close to a university. There was lots of demand, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, and it was a good property. So that's how I, and I just kind of stumbled upon it. I rented it by the red room. I said, I'll, let me see if it's going to work. That's the other thing, right? Is like, if you, if you just want to even just rent it by the unit and you're, you're scared that something, you know, maybe there's not demand, just put up an ad on Kijiji on whatever. Hey, I have a room for rent, 500 bucks. You know, put up a picture or something or don't even put up a picture. If you start getting messages, that means that there is demand. And so that's one of the ways I validated it when I was there. And, you know, I I did the same thing, renovated and rented out by the bedroom. It's working perfectly. And now I'm looking to basically keep acquiring more like that as well. Are, are these properties in Toronto? These properties are not in the center of Toronto because Toronto real estate prices is insane, but they are about one to two hours away from the city, but they're still close enough where they're not in the middle of nowhere. And what I actually like to look for and a tip that I can give your listeners, if you're looking for property is you're my experience is you're never going to be profitable if you try to find something close or in the city uh, because the prices are so crazy. But if you look at one to two hours away from a major city, major focal point, you will find enough properties you know, within the price range to do whatever you want with. And actually in those properties, that's where you can get the cash flow. That's really where the appreciation happens over the long term. And I like to look at these pockets of expanding areas. So it's almost like a circle on a chart as it expands outwards. Is it going to hit that area eventually, you know, from from both sides? And that's one way that you can actually predict, uh, help you predict appreciation rate. Interesting. Um, so these are suburbs kind of areas, right? They're not, yep. they're not, um, they're, they're nice areas. They're nice. Hey, they're, they're nice areas, the suburbs. So my property is about, um, the one that I live in is around, you know, 25 minutes from downtown Toronto, really nice residential area. Last place where you could have bought a bungalow for under. So I bought it, I bought the house for 400 K, you know, that's just for a fixer upper bungalow, 400 K, right? That's how much I spent for the first property. That price has now doubled. Like my property is worth way over that. So I've made over 500000 appreciation in this property just because of the principle of depreciation expanding outward because I knew it was the last place you could get a detached bungalow with a big lot 
in the area. And, th- and that's the same thing that I did with the next one because I found the exact same thing, you know, nice residential area, mature lot, good property, detached. I personally I don't invest in anything other than detached because one of the greatest assets is not actually the thing that it's built on, but the land, right? So I always buy for land. Okay. Now I know you talked about this before, but just so I'm clear in my mind, if you have a house where you're renting out nine different rooms, how many kitchens do you need for that? When you want to implement this strategy, you really have to look at a couple of things, your bylaws in your area, your building codes, your fire codes, and you know all of that kind of stuff. And you want to make sure that you're compliant with everything. And so typically, it's not necessarily how many kitchens you need per bedroom. It's how many bedrooms, um, what's the maximum bedrooms that you can have in the house? What is the mac- maximum occupancy per the fire code? You, don't, you know, so you're not overcrowding the area, et cetera. And understand you're going to have to do things like interconnected smoke alarms and all these other things above and beyond that you would have to do in a regular house because you have a rental and safety is, you know, most important. So that's how I look at it. Now, like my general rule of thumb is like you don't want more than three or four people, I would max around four, maximum maybe even five for one kitchen. But certainly if you're getting in the four and five and and higher range, you want multiple bathrooms. That's really where it is. So because most of my properties are three bed, one bath units that I really cap out around three or four rooms. rooms. Three or four different people sharing one bathroom and that's okay? That's okay. And, And doesn't matter the sex, they're okay with it. Okay, so t- talk about um, background checks. Do you do you do background checks on the people before you let them in? Yeah, so the number one key thing with real estate, with rental properties, specifically rental properties, is your due diligence when you're screening your tenants. If you do everything right and mess this part up, you're putting your entire business in jeopardy because I don't know about you, Joe, but, and and, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with most tenant laws really everywhere from my experience is much more difficult to get a tenant out of an apartment than it is to get it in. So you have to be the gatekeeper. You have to make sure the person you're letting on your property is trustworthy, has good credit, has a good bank, has a good employment, all this kind of stuff. So I do background checks, credit checks, criminal checks. I look, go on Facebook. I look them up. I look at, can I see anything about, like, I do such a full due diligence that at the end of the day, I know how much money they're making. I know to make sure that it's not above a certain threshold. I don't like when it's over 30%, to be completely honest, of someone's income. But you would never, you know, tell them this, but this is the whole application that you have to go through, Joe, because if you don't, you can get stuck uh-huh. with somebody who doesn't pay, who, and you have to go through eviction, and eviction is going to take a couple of months, right, where I'm from. So that's the reality. Really, screening is number one. Okay. And how do you screen? What are some things? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I was mentioning some of the things I look at. First of all, they have to do uh, an application. So they go see the room, they go see the unit, whatever they're looking at, and then they do the application. And the application has everything in it, you know, including what's their income, what's their employer's name, um, you know, all references, bank references. They give me their social security number, something that I ask for, and it's an important thing that you get. 
because that basically ties that individual. So no matter what, if they change their name, if whatever, you'll always have that as well. So I get them essentially to really fill in this huge detailed application where I go through and vet them. Then I pull their credit online. I look at their credit score. I look at their employment. I look at how long they work for. I call their employer. I talk to them. I try to call at least one or two other references like you know, past landlords is a really good indication. And the thing is, if somebody doesn't have, you know, a past landlord that will give them a good recommendation, you have to ask yourself why, especially if they start blaming the past landlord for certain things. And I'm not saying that, you know, there are bad landlords. There certainly are, right? We, we all know about them. But your job is really to, to smell the BS and, you know, to wade through all of that. And then at the end of the day, say, is this the best person? Is this the best kind of applicant? And hey, you know what? If it means that you have to be vacant for one month because you didn't get a good round of applicants right away, maybe you need to be vacant. Maybe that's better for your business and losing just that one month. Uh, and, and because the bedroom strategy, one of the things we didn't mention, Joe, is the bedroom strategy has way less risk, financial risk, than the multi-unit. And the reason is because I have six different bedrooms. I have six different sources of income. I have six different employers. What are the chances all six of them are going to pay? So if I'm just vacant on one room, that just means, hey, I'm only prof- le- you know, less profitable that one room, but I'm still able to be profitable. I'm still able to find good tenants, et cetera. Good. Good, good. So what would you recommend then, Svey? For somebody, as we wrap it up here, somebody who's maybe interested mm-hmm. in learning, wanting to build some retirement income without having like a million properties, right? Sounds to yeah. me like you found a way by renting these rooms out that you can get really good passive income, cash flow from owning just a few properties. So what what would you recommend for people if they want to get for more information and get started doing something like this. Yeah, thanks, Joe. They can go to rentalhacking.com slash Joe McCall. And I've put together, you know, I have a free web class, kind of like what we're talking about today, different strategies that you can implement, how you can get started, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's in about, you know, about 40 minutes, an hour long. I think it's, my, you know, my best training that I really have to give people that they just want to start out. They want to get more information. And if they come to that free web class, they also get a free cheat sheet that they can uh, download as well. So yeah, go to rentalhacking.com slash Joe McCall. Cool. And they watch a webinar and you have a program that, is it a course or a coaching program or what is it? Yeah, yeah, I have, you know, I have, I have a couple of different things, you know, but I really recommend, recommend the rental hacking masterclass is my full course. And I give basically, if there's something that you need for your success, I'm giving that to you. So whether that's leases, contracts, et cetera, all of the training, everything like that. And, you know, I have students who, you know, who are in that course right now and having great success and, you know, getting great results. So that's, if you're serious, I also have a bunch of other programs and I also do, you know, coaching and all sorts of stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, good. Svea, I know there's probably a lot of other questions that people would want to ask, and I've probably only asked 1% of them regarding the strategy and and tactics to how to find these deals and how to manage them and all that. Do you have a, um, they can go to that website, rentalhacking.com slash Joe McCall, but do you have a Facebook place? 
are you on Facebook yep. or LinkedIn or anything like that? Can yep, people- yep, yep. So I'm on um, Facebook. If you go to Rental Hacking, you'll see my page there. I have a free Facebook group also that you guys can join as well for you know for Rental Hacking. Just search that in the Facebook groups. You can connect with me if you want on my personal profile as well. Um, I do a lot of stuff there as well. But my friend limit is getting close to max out. So really, really, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm on YouTube. I have YouTube videos. Um, Svay Pavich. So check me out there. I'm on Instagram. I mean, you'll find me everywhere. Good. Excellent. Hey, thanks, man. Svay, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the time. And I, I think hopefully people are going to be encouraged by your story. I know we have a lot of young millennials listening to this. And uh, they realize, I think, once you figure this out, it's kind of exciting, you know, like, man, I don't have to work 40 or 50 years with, for the man, yeah. right? I can make uh, craft my own destiny. I love it. I love it, Joe. Thank you so much for, um, for having me on your show. And I hope that your listeners got some value. I hope they're inspired. And, you know, I just want to say, guys, you're only one rental away. That's it. I just we're only one rental away from financial freedom, just like me. So, yeah, Good I believe stuff. in each and every one of you. You can do it. Go out there and crush your goals. Thank you, Savay. We'll see you later.